Obibi Fahodier, Hotep, Jumbo African family, another great opportunity to discuss issues affecting the African world uh, from our perspective. Uh, once again, our brother uh, Gullah Jack is still uh, involved in some other activities that has him totally tied up. So hopefully he'll be back with us next week. He was trying to get back today, but um, some things uh, didn't quite work out. Uh, as Brother almost said, we have a guest on our program returning uh, for the second time, Brother Quasey uh, Michael Fisher, brother that actually met via uh, his blog and social media, The Assault on Black Folk Sanity. Must have been, what, back in, what, 2007 or somewhere in the neighborhood, Quasey? Yeah, probably was 2000. That's when I closed it down. Okay, maybe 2006 or somewhere. 2004, 2005, something like that. Okay. So anyway, um, Brother Kwesi, longtime activist in the uh, struggle for the liberation and empowerment of African people. And uh, we had a conversation about uh, some current events and the uh, development of this movement called ADOS, American Descendants of Slavery. But before we get to that, I just want to mention just a couple of things that, that have taken place uh, this week. Uh, one, I think, is very positive. There's a new reparations lawsuit uh, that has been filed in uh, Tulsa uh, on behalf of uh, a 105-year-old uh, elder mother who was actually a child when the uh, white supremacy dynamic unleashed their barbarism in 1921. And this lawsuit, un unlike the former, the, the, the previous lawsuit, which everybody who understands reparations believed had a tremendous chance of winning because it met one of the criteria that our enemies are already always throwing in our face, that is, there are no living descendants. When Charles Ogletree of Harvard filed, his, uh, filed the lawsuit there were 150 survivors. This was, I think, in 2003. There were 150 survivors still living, direct survivors of the uh, massacre. And uh, that lawsuit was rejected. Uh, the Supreme Court refused to hear it, but it was rejected at the appellate level because they said the statute of limitations had expired. Uh, this lawsuit uh, is based on uh, Oklahoma law. It's been filed in state court, and it's called a public nuisance law, and it has no statute of limitations. And the, uh, the state of Oklahoma actually used it against some pharmaceutical companies and won a lawsuit uh, because of the, uh, op the effects of the opioid uh, epidemic in Oklahoma. So they think that this lawsuit has a chance uh, to proceed. We'll see whether, whether it does or not, but the, but the fact of the matter is... Uh, our historical enemies need to understand that the reparations issue is not going away. We're going to keep discussing it, keep demanding it, and pushing forward. Uh, the second thing, uh, Friday, this past Friday, marked 100 uh, days. Uh, that would have been September the 4th. Marked 100 days of consecutive uh, demonstrations for justice for Breonna Taylor in Louisville. And I just have to give the uh, people in the Louisville community who have protested uh, for now 101 days 
uh, as of yesterday, Kentucky Derby Day, and I'm sure they'll be out there again today. And they have, unlike some of the some of the protests, they have maintained uh, black uh, grassroots leadership, uh, even though you know there's some people of European descent involved. Uh, but uh, it has it has been able to progress, and they've been able to keep a lot of the uh, destructive forces out of. Uh, from from being a a major factor in their in their demonstrations for uh, Sister Brianna Taylor, and finally uh, there was a very tragic event in Bloomington, Minnesota, where a Neanderthug uh, went berserk, uh, killed his wife, and then proceeded to fire shots in the direction of two uh, uh, young sisters who were actually uh, loading some items into a U-Haul. They had nothing to do with this. The guy killed his wife in a, a garage. He fired shots. He hit uh, 12-year-old Michaela Salter in the head. And uh, she, uh, Michaela's 29-year-old sister, was hit several times in the lower extremities. Both of them are uh, still hospitalized. Obviously, Michaela's situation is uh, much more uh, desperate. Uh, but her sister, uh, Carnesia, has had, had a one-year-old child. And Michaela shielded her niece, her one-year-old niece, and uh, took the bullet there. Uh, once again, here you see our sisters. Just, it, it just, something just seems to be just instilled in, our, in, in, in a lot of our sisters just carrying on the tradition of strong black women. And so we're going to post on our page a fundraiser. They have a GoFundMe page set up, I think, by their grandmother. And we're going to post it on the African Liberation Media uh, Facebook page. Just a few items that I uh, wanted to uh, discuss because the buckle of the show, even though we may come back to some of those if, you know, Brother, Brother Quasi wants to, buckle of the show is going to be about the uh, development or of this uh, movement called ADOS. Uh, African descendants for slavery, and particularly their attack on the Pan-African movement or on Pan-Africanism, and this has raised concerns in in a lot of people who are are driven by the notion that we we have to have global African unity and organization in order to achieve true true African liberation uh, and empowerment. So, Brother Quasi. Why don't you tell us, you know, what what is what is this ADOS movement? Uh, you may want to talk about some of the history of Pan-Africanism. Or, or what is it that actually raised your concerns about this? Well, um, of course, as, as you mentioned, um, I've been involved, as so many other black folk, in uh, trying to obtain justice in the face of this this racism, um, a white supremacist system that exists throughout throughout the world. It's not just a phenomenon that you have in the United States, and um, and uh, uh, what you got to do is in order to understand that you got to go back in history. Now, ADOS is a, uh, I don't know whether one can call it a movement yet, but it's becoming more influential from what I've seen. Um, 
it's it's a concept that was started by two people, uh, a woman in her, I believe, in her early 40s named Yvette Carnell. She has a blog, uh, but it's a, 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 a YouTube channel called Breaking Brown. And a, uh, another gentleman named uh, Antonio Moore. Yvette he be, appears to be stationed in, uh, uh, located in Atlanta. And uh, Antonio Moore, he's in Los Angeles. Uh, apparently he's a, an attorney of some kind. Uh, from what I understand, he used to be working for the district attorney's office. I don't know whether that's correct. Um, and um, uh, he has a, um, a YouTube channel called Tone Talks. All right. So a lot of people argue about, you know, what their background is, whether they're rightist, leftist, Trumpist, or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's that relevant. <clears throat> I think what's, uh, what's important is, is that uh, they're bringing to fore a lot of issues, which are, you know, traditional issues that we that we face in the African American community, and in the African community as a whole. Um, but they're doing it in a way to distort things. Uh, to, 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 it's kind of misleading. Their basic premise is that Africa, that black people in the United States constitute their own community, which is correct. Um, they say, however, that this community is has become, while it derived from what they think, what they say is West Africa, which is not quite correct. We're actually the plurality of us are from from the Congo, uh, and have been imported, uh, had been marched to West Africa, and then certain West African uh, uh, kings, re renegade kings, in cooperation with the Europeans then brought us over here, but a lot of us that I have West African as well. In any case, <clears throat> that that we've kind of, we've become disconnected from Africa, period. And that we have to now define ourselves as a community and define ourselves as the product of American slavery, which is to an extent correct, um, because we are product of that system as well and that we really have nothing to do anymore with Africa. Uh, so, but that it is correct that we have to go and, and demand reparations for, for the uh, um, for deprivations that we have suffered historically, not just during slavery, but also um, after the formal abolition of slavery, you know, during Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera, up until today. Uh, they emphasize the fact that there is a wealth gap between the average African American and the average white American, European American, which is something that we've known for hundreds of years. Uh, and that wealth gap is uh, extreme. It's been the same for the last 50, 60 years, if not more. Um, and that is, a, it's about between five and 10 cents of every dollar that white folks have, we have five or 10 cents. So when we're talking about wealth, we're not talking about income like, you know, um, you know, salaries or something. We're talking about wealth in terms of owning housing, liquid assets, bank accounts, you know, land, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all this is absolutely correct. And to, to point that out is absolutely correct. 
and that we have, and that it's not a, 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 a function of black folk not wanting to work or not working, but a function of the system is absolutely correct too. In my personal opinion is it's like, okay, cool, even if we didn't want to work as black folk in the United States, fine, we work for free for 400 years. Can we take a lunch break for 100 years? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 all right. So all this is, 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 is partially correct. The, the, the reparations part is correct. The, uh, the wealth gap is correct. But then they go and they attack Pan-Africanism. And the attack uh, is this. They focus on They've been focusing on Africans that have immigrated from various parts of Africa, Nigeria, et cetera, et cetera, to the United States and say, look, these folks are doing better than the average African-American, the African, what they call ADOS. They termed this new, new term ADOS for us. And they're trying to usurp, take over things that we as descendants of African slavery, or excuse me, American slavery, have initial right to, and they're trying to take over the reparation. They're trying to get the affirmative action for themselves, et cetera, et cetera. Then they go and extend that to the brothers and sisters from the Caribbean community that come over here. You know, say, okay, listen, you guys, you come over here too, and you're doing the same thing, all right? At the same time, what they do is they identify certain Africans or black folk from the Caribbean or, or Africa, those with the correct attitude, right? They, they, they identify as allies. So now you have, you know, Jamaicans that are over here that work on behalf of, of African-Americans, let's say uh, uh, Kwame Toure that came from Trinidad, He's an ally all of a sudden, you know, he's, 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 he's an ally of so-called ADOS. Uh, you might have uh, a Nigerian a person from what's now Nigeria coming over here that's working on behalf of African-Americans. He's an ally. So, so you have the separation, and then when you have some kind of unity, then there's unity as allies, but not unity as, as related peoples. Mm. All right. And they base all this on, on, a hist on the history of Africans, African-American black folk in this country. Okay. So what's happening now is, is that you have more and more folks saying, oh, you know, they're kind of giving people the, the go-ahead to, to attack these African immigrants, right? And they posit these African immigrants as uh, as representative of all of Africa, although they say, well, Africa is not, there is no real Africa as such, it's 54 countries. We have to understand that and so many different ethnicities, et cetera. So, you know, you can't really have a, have a unified Africa. And, you know, then they read articles from different people that inside of uh, Africa, for example, Zimbabwe, that are engaged in a struggle against ZANU, against uh, uh, Mugabe, who's a Pan-Africanist, right? And so they're citing articles from the opposition of that. 
and saying, see, these Africans are saying there is no real Africa. There's no unity. There's no, so there's a lot of stuff going on that's distorted. All right. Now, <clears throat> there are many aspects to this whole thing, and there, there are many, you know, there are many uh, um, uh, uh, consequences that flow out of it, political consequences in, in today's day. But uh, it's, it's important to, Im to unpack issue for issue. It's very significant that they attack Pan-Africanism. They have uh, Yvette Carnell. Now, among the two, Yvette and, and, and Antonio uh, Moore, um, you have a division of labor. Uh, Yvette Carnell is, is more of a political theorist. She's a very good speaker, um, but she's more like on a one-to-one -one thing. She, she, she kind of uh, created the, the political, underlying political construct for this, from what I could see. Antonio Moore, uh, when you look at his uh, YouTube channel, he speaks more like a Baptist preacher. You know, so he's he's very good in preaching. He preaches at you, so you're kind of in church with the brother. You know, so um, so they work very well together, right? And they've been able to influence a lot of people. Now, now you know they they've they've attacked Joy Reid, they've attacked other people, they've attacked Barack Obama, they've attacked, you know, some of the attacks make sense. Some of them. Are skewed. Some of them, you know, we don't know. Now you know what my attitude is towards Barack Obama is similar to yours. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with what he's what he's been doing, um, and uh, and a lot of black folk don't. A lot of black men aren't are, are disappointed, and they kind of you know hone in on that too, you know. So. So, um, any case. So now let's deal with the Pan-Africanism thing. Um, there's, I encourage everybody to go uh, to Yvette Cornell's YouTube channel called Breaking Brown and, and Google Pan-Africanism is dead. That's a whole show that she did, I think about a year or two ago, I'm not sure. So why is she saying that Pan-Africanism is dead? First of all, she doesn't define Pan-Africanism correctly. Um, let's talk about Pan-Africanism first and foremost before people, you know, before we go into this thing. <clears throat> if we go back, now we know that history isn't abstract. Everything that happened a year ago affects us today. Mm -hmm. Things that happened 10 years ago affect us today. Right. Things that happened 30 years ago affect us today, and it's going all the way back. Mm -hmm. So the official the start of African slavery, as the Supreme Court of the United States even termed it un, until, you know, the late, late uh, 18th, 19th century, um, began officially in what's 1619. And it began as a project of the British colonial settlers, right? Mm -hmm. And it continued to be a project of Britain until here in, the, here in the colonies until 1776 when the British, when the English 
that were settled here that didn't want to continue their affiliation with Britain for a certain reason. I'll go into that reason in a second. Declared their independence in 1776, set up what now be, what then became the United States of America, and then continued slavery for another 89 years, official slavery, until 1865. So the bulk of the time that our people have been in bondage over here in the Americas has been under the British Empire. Okay? Right. Now, so that's, that's important to understand. Now, my family was enslaved and comes from what we call was South Carolina. Mm -hmm. right? We were enslaved in Darlington County, South Carolina. And Georgia, but especially did you, did you say County. Darlington? Darlington County, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and we still get buried down there. So we might die in New York. We might die in California, but we get, tend to get transported back to South Carolina and get buried there. That has something to do with my great great grandfathers. Right. Um, I but I'll get into that later if if need be. So we have to understand that for this what is it? A hundred and uh, was 140 years or something like that, you know, we were, the bulk of, of the existence of slavery in, in the Americas was under the British Empire. Mm -hmm. And the British Empire didn't just maintain slavery here in the, these colonies, they also had a colony in Jamaica, they had colonies in Trinidad, they had colonies in Barbados. Barbados is extremely important. Barbados before Haiti and anyone, anything else was the most profitable slave uh, uh, entity in the British Empire. It's a small place, but they kept importing Africans, working them to death, kept importing Africans, working them to death. And Barbados became so profitable, but it's small, that the sons of the slave masters over there, slave owners, those 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 concentration camp commandants couldn't get more land. Like you know the the, the, the young you know the, the way they inherited property was the old eldest son would get all the property. They wouldn't divide the property up. So the second oldest and the third oldest, you know, they were like out of it. So what they did is they came to the Carolinas, because we've got to remember, this is all, everything is one part of the same empire. Mm. They came to the Carolinas and set up Carolina, which later was divided into South Carolina and North Carolina. Right. In particular, Charleston. And they set up the system, the slavery system that they had in Barbados in South Carolina. Okay. So we had this, that, that was later, that was after 1619. In 1619, we had a, we had a um, slavery set up in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Then we have one in South Carolina. There were two, two systems, kind of. The Virginia system was based on, well, we needed grow tobacco, et cetera, et cetera, which was, you know, you didn't have big plantations, you had farms. So, you know, we're going, to, we're going to bring in these Africans, we're going to buy them, but above all, we're going to breed them. Mm -hmm. 
the Barbadian system was, we're going to work these black folk to death and then import more. It's cheaper to import more than to breed them. Mm. All right? So when you, when you had the, uh, the independence struggle, right? It wasn't a revolution. It was really a struggle for independence from Britain. They had this big argument among the Virginia folks, like Thomas Jefferson, mm. and those in South Carolina. And the Virginia folks said, Gee, we, we, we're, we're breeding our own, you know? Right. So they wanted, they wanted to outlaw the uh, transatlantic uh, slave trade because right. this day they were going to make more money. Right. You see what I'm saying? The South Carolinians said, slave owners said, nah, we're we just going to bring in all these Africans from, um, from South Carolina, uh, from Africa. It's cheaper for us than to breed those guys. Right. And and with the with so so they made a compromise and said okay in, what was it 1808 mm-hmm. slave trade is over but for 25 years you know we can do the international slave trade right that didn't mean that the internal slave trade didn't stop so you know right. you had the internal tr- slave trade when when um, uh, that became extremely important after the Louisiana Purchase mm-hmm. when all these all this uh, when Napoleon had to sell Louisiana to Je- Thomas Jefferson because the Haitians had, the Haitian have, have, revolution had risen up and wiped out the army right. that Napoleon had actually been designated for to protect his interests in Louisiana. Right. But they when, you say, when you say Louisiana territory, you're just not talking about the state of Louisiana. No. You're talking about territory that extends from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific Ocean. Uh, yeah, no, not really. It's, it's more, it extends more northwards, all the way to the Canadian border. Yeah, well, so, I, th- I thought part of it went to it covered part of Oregon, but but go ahead. That's yeah, no, okay. No, they, they, they did, but but okay. yeah, but but you you got to also remember there's Mexico, Mexico, right? Yeah, which we took. Okay. But but we're talking about um, Louisiana. I mean, Georgia had. We're talking about Louisiana, uh, Arkansas, I believe. All these, you know. Um, yeah. Missouri and Colorado. Yeah, Colorado was part of Mexico, but these these were gigantic territories, Mm -hmm. right? The other thing, by the way, that the British had had told the colonists was, listen, you can't extend your settlement and slavery beyond the Appalachians. And they're like, nah, no, we we need that, okay, Mm -hmm. for ourselves. All right, so so after Thomas Jefferson made this purchase. They needed some, this was all wooded area, forest, you know, fertile forest, but, you know, they wanted to clear it. And uh, they needed, and, and, you know, the, the uh, cotton had become more and more important. In order to do that, they had to bring in more and more Africans. Mm-hmm. So in South Carolina, they, they imported all these Africans, brought them, and, and marched them off to not just South Carolina, not just Georgia, but onto these new territories. And after the slave tra- after the slave international slave trade was made illegal, 1808, then the Virginians started uh, exporting their quote unquote product, right, mm-hmm. to uh, to those areas. There were two ways they did it. They used uh, slave ships, where they you know uh, shipped them all the way down to the port of New Orleans, and then from New Orleans they would be taken up to Natchez. To the crossroads up there, or the, what they would do is they would put together what they call coffles, which they had in Africa as well. They chained 
dozens and a hundred Africans together, black folk together, and marched them thousands of miles. They sold them, marched them thousands of miles to Georgia and from Georgia to, you know, what's now Tennessee, Mississippi, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, particularly after the uh, invention of the cotton gin. I, 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 let, let, let me correct myself. I, my geography was off. You are correct. The states were uh, what we now parts of or all of Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, uh, about a quarter maybe of Colorado, Nebraska, Iowa, parts of Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, and into uh, Canada. Uh, and I was wrong about Oregon. So you're right. This large swath of land uh, was controlled by France, which um, he was uh, Napoleon was forced to sell as a result of the successful revolution in Haiti. I just wanted to clarify that because when I make a mistake, I want to make sure people understand we uh, we correct things. But go but go ahead, brother, regarding the so, uh, the actions of Jefferson and et cetera, et cetera, right. slave breeding so, and so, internal trade. So so now what we have to understand is is that we didn't have blank robots that were caught in Africa, brought over here. These were people, our ancestors were people with cultures, with thought processes, with ways of doing things. Some of us were Igbo, a lot of us were uh, Bakongo, some of us were Bateke, some of us were, you know, uh, they even brought in people from Mozambique. Then they ended up bringing in Akan, a lot of the Akans ended up in Jamaica, by the way. Um, then they brought in, uh, you know, people from, um, they brought in Ovimbundu, they brought in, you know, then they brought in Wolof and Mandinka, less actually than they, than, than Bakongo, mm. et cetera. And all these people were people that had mindsets, that had cultures. What is culture? Culture is how you do things, how you interpret things, how you speak, et cetera, mm -hmm. right? And in that, under the system of, uh, under this oppressive system, it was like a cauldron. They were kept separate, but they were intermingled and they intermingled. And in that cauldron, they developed a new culture over the years. Okay. But it's still an African culture. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. it's, it, they took parts of European culture because they had to. But as such, what happened was that a new nation, cultural entity, was forged under these oppressive conditions mm -hmm. in the United in, in what later became the United States. So this is this entity, these folks call ADOS. Well, we've always recognized that there that there is a separate African community in the United States, it, we're no less Africans than any African in Africa. Just because they stayed behind. Mm -hmm. None of us said, oh, like the Europeans said. Well, I'm tired of Ireland, you know, Ireland is, you know, or Germany is, you know, there's too reactionary for me, so I will come over here now and become American, and I, tie, and I cut my ties with Germany, you know? Mm -hmm. Or take Trump's grandfather. Right. Right? Trump's grandfather came, came to 
to the United States to escape the draft in Germany. Right. Then when he went back to Germany, the Germans said, yo. <laughs> you done, buddy. You out of here. Go on back there. So they're like, okay, cool. You see what I'm saying? Too bad, too bad they didn't keep him. But <laughs> right. So, so none of us turned our backs to, to our family. It's not like, you know, it's not like, okay, uh, there, there was a black dude or a black woman standing in, in, in the savannah, just standing around, and then they snatched them up. Right. What happened was people invaded villages. They disrupted families. They killed people. Yeah, it was, the, it was the world's children. The world's largest forced migration. And a point I always make, because people, you know, we, when we talk about, you know, the 1619, one of the arguments uh, that uh, they make, they'll say, well, uh, they weren't slaves. They were indentured servants, of course. And as you just explained, nobody in Africa signed a contract to leave uh, Angola, Congo, or wherever, and come to the United States to work for seven to 10 years to work off some kind of debt as people were doing in Europe. People in Europe, uh, in England in particular, were motivated by massive unemployment, extreme, extremely high rates of crime, and uh, unemployment, right? High rates of poverty. So they had motivations. Nobody in Africa was motivated to leave Africa for any reason to get on a boat and come uh, to the United States. So this is part of the, of the, of the process of, of what you were talking about. And it's important in terms of this argument to understand the, the, the years of, of uh, chattel slavery under British colonial North America, which then became the United States of America after their successful war of independence and the Treaty of Paris, which was signed in 1783. But, but go ahead, brother. All right. So now what we have is we have at least two white entities, the United States government and the British government that lorded over us and maintained slavery. Okay? Mm -hmm. ADOS concentrates on the U.S. government only. Right. All right. And ADOS says, okay, the U.S. government owes us reparations. And to the extent that the British owe us reparations, they, they do acknowledge that, you know, the Brits, you know, maintained this, this system for, since uh, 1619 until 1776. Mm -hmm. The United States government should go and collect the reparations for us. <laughs> okay? And, and kind of take them to court. It's on their website. Wow. Now, but not only that, but they demand reparations from the African countries. What? Well, there's a point. Hold on, there's a point. For example, they cite the Dahomeans. The Dahomean king was a gangster. Yeah. All right? Was today Benin, mm -hmm. the king, right there. Trained a whole bunch of sisters, called the Dahomean Amazons, and what they did is they would invade neighboring uh, country, neighboring uh, uh, areas, mm -hmm. kill people, snatch them up, and sell them to the Europeans, to the okay. Americans, to the British, etc. A lot of people over there are still proud of, a lot of these descendants of these people are still proud of that, you know? Okay. Should they pay reparations? Sure. They can pay reparations if they got any money, right? 
They shouldn't get any, but hey. But the bulk of the African people in Africa, well, I'll deal with that later, didn't, weren't engaged in the slave trade. They were victims of the slave trade. Okay. So they're saying, okay, these African countries, they're saying there's 54 of them, right? They are now, you know, they need to pay reparations to us, to at least the West African ones. And the United States needs to collect that from these countries on our behalf. No? Okay. Now, what they don't tell people is that these, these African, African countries are European-created entities. Yeah, none of these people, none of these countries existed in 1619. Well, well, maybe, well, not even that. They didn't exist until, you know, about 40 years ago, 50 years ago, with the possible exception of, of Ethiopia. But even Ethiopian borders were basically defined by the Europeans. There's mm -hmm. not a single country, quote unquote, in Africa that is an African country. They were all, the borders were all, you know, drawn Created. by Europeans. At the Berlin Conference, South 1884, Africa 1885. A, South, South Africa is not an African country. Uh, you know, it's a European country. Kenya is a European country. Nigeria is a European country. You're talking about their geographical boundaries. Not only that. The, just, the judicial system that Nigeria has, the political system, everything has been imported from the UK. Okay. Right? There's not indigenous about that. I never heard of an African president, African parliament, no rules of whatever. And if you look at the judges, even in Zimbabwe, and I never understood Mugabe for that, they got judges sitting there with black judges, with, uh, with these, these, these uh, wigs. European these wigs. European wigs looking ridiculous. Right? In, fact, they, in fact, they order them from uh, the UK. Well, there's, there's a place well, in the UK that... that, that they produces these wigs, and they they are sold to, you know, uh, to Africans uh, judges to wear in Nigeria and Ghana and Zimbabwe and Kenya and so forth. Right. So, so what you have in Africa is you have a situation where, okay, but come back. So we, we're dealing with at least two white entities mm -hmm. now. The English and the and the Americans weren't the only ones engaged in the African slave trade. By far, mm -hmm. the Dutch were engaged in it. The Germans were engaged in it. Mm -hmm. The Portuguese were pioneered it. The Spanish were engaged in it. Mm -hmm. The bulk of Africans imported, exported, quote unquote, exported, kidnapped, and taken to the Americas went to Brazil. Right. Okay. Also, Yorubas, Bakongos, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, now the thing about the Europeans is, Europeans hate each other. The French and the Germans, they fought each other forever. They called themselves, you know, um, the Germans, you know, were, even though originally they came, from, they were one people. Mm. Okay? The Fra France, the word France comes from Franken, originally the word Franken, which was a Germanic people, mm -hmm. right? And they were just divided. They, and they were divided when one of their emperors you know, died. He had three sons, so they divided the empire into, into three, the three entities, one of them which, was, which became France. Okay. okay. And they've been fighting each other forever. 
Europeans right. killed more more Europeans than they killed anybody else. Exactly. First World War, Second World War, everything else. Mm-hmm. So they're like, ah, at each other's throats at the time. But when it came to dealing with Africa, all of a sudden they united. They united, unified. You know what I'm mm-hmm. All right. So you have a pan-Europeanism in relation to how to deal with Africa. Mm-hmm. Now they might fight each other over. Oh, I want to get this part of Africa. I want to get that part of Africa. I want to get this part of African bodies. I want to get that part of African bodies. Oh, you Portuguese, you still you still, you know, exporting African bodies to Brazil. No, no, no. You shouldn't do that. Say the British, because mm-hmm. we stopped it. So you guys got to stop it. The right. Portuguese are saying, "Are you out your mind?" But at the end of the day, they're still brothers and sisters. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Okay. So what you have. This pan-Europeanism with, with respect to African people is called white supremacy and exists on a global scale. See what I'm saying? Got you. Pan-Africanism is nothing but a logical, political reaction to that. If my oppressor functions on a global scale, I got to function on a global scale. See what I'm saying? In order to defeat him. In order to defeat him. In order to defend myself. Right. Now, I know that the Igbo is not the same as the Kikuyu. Right. I know that Osa is not the same as the Zulu or Tswana or whatever. You know, we know that there are, you know, all there are thousands of African languages. Mm-hmm. Thousands of of, cult, of communities that are separate from each other that even fought each other. They didn't kill each other off the way the Europeans killed each other off. But yes, there's gang wars. There's you know just like we got the the Bloods and the Crips. You know that doesn't make the Bloods less African American, or the Crips less African American. You know. Well, I mean, all, all, of, all of this is a result of European domination, though, right? Well, yeah, some of it, but but uh, yeah. but a lot of it the, in terms of yeah, but in terms of the 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 dis- disparate different uh, uh, African communities, yeah, you know, and even if they were at war with each other forever without white folks involved, once the white folks got involved and took over and imposed their power structure on everybody, we all became one tribe. Now, you might be thinking that you're a Corsa. You might be thinking that you're African-American. You might be thinking that I'm a Jamaican. Hey, you know? Or you might think that you're a Trinidadian. But in front of, from the point of view of white supremacy, there's only one tribe. Right. That tribe is called niggas. <laughs> All right? All right. So we have to understand that. Now, as an African community over here, there are two things. We were forcibly removed from Africa. Our families were destroyed. There were families left behind that lost their sons, their, their daughters, mm-hmm. their mothers. What happens here today if somebody goes, let's say a cop, unjustifiably shoots a black person or any mm-hmm. person, right? right? What do you do? You go, the, the person is dead. What does the family do? The family goes and sues the city. Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. 
and they get a settlement of a million dollars or a few thousand dollars or even two million dollars or whatever, mm-hmm. all right? That goes to the family. Now, if I'm sitting in, 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 in the middle of the Congo and some people on behest of Europeans that want to buy people come in, invade my village and kill off my father and brother or uncle and mother because they're too old and they snatch the young people, the strongest people, march them for thousands of miles to the coast, let them linger for months in dungeons and then bring them over to the Americas does that mean I as I, I was left behind? I lost my family. Mm-hmm. Can I sue, please? And get made whole for losing my family? That's an issue wholly separate from what happened to the victims themselves. Now, the victim himself, right? Mm-hmm. Or herself says, I need reparations too. So both, both folks need to be restored. Reparations mean being made whole. Mm-hmm. All right? So when you say that reparations are due only to Africans in the United States, black folk in the United States, and not to those families that were robbed of their people, right? Mm-hmm. What you're saying is that those people that were robbed are uncles and aunts or great aunts you know, or great-great-aunts, weren't people. You mm. see what I'm saying? They don't have rights. They don't have the right to have their families restored. See, you can't separate. Re- yes, we need reparations in the United States. We need reparations in Jamaica. We need reparations in Africa. Why? Because this was a worldwide phenomenon. And all of these crooks, it's not just that one mafia family got involved. Mm-hmm. It was a whole commission. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. They might have mafia wars among each other, right. but as a whole, they institute that stuff. So, yeah, we go to the U.S. government and say, yo, we want reparations. And to the British, Queen Elizabeth, the reason that you're so rich is because your ancestor, Queen Elizabeth II, actually, actually Queen Elizabeth is not, ancestor is German. From Hanover. So, but British, you know, Queen Elizabeth I, you commissioned that African slave trade. Right. Okay. Y'all got rich off of that. We we want our money. We want okay. pe- not just our money, we want our names back. We want our reparations. Okay, now the Jamaicans say, but hey, hold on. The British colonized us too. The British enslaved us too. Exactly. We were all in the same pot. Now, the British, quote unquote, freed you in 1832. And the Americans, you know, 40, 30 years, 33 years later, quote unquote. But basically, we were the same. You know? Right. It's the same thing. So, so you cannot go and separate this. And it's good. And once you understand that, then you understand that, okay, there has to be unity among everybody in order to fight back against what's going on. Okay. Now, now the white supremacy didn't stop uh, 
once there was emancipation of Africans in Jamaica or throughout the British Empire in 1832. It didn't stop once there was emancipation in, in the United States in uh, 1865. And the Brazilian brothers and sisters, they didn't get emancipated until I think it was 1889? 88, I think. Or 88? Mm-hmm. So they were the last ones, and they're the bulk of the African population, black population in the Americas. Yeah. There's, there's more of them in Brazil than anywhere else in the Americas. Right. Okay? So, so after that, what we had is we had practices that were akin to slavery in all these places. Mm-hmm. Now, in Jamaica, they might have had, because they had a majority of you know, Jamaicans on this little island, and, and in Barbados or whatever, they might have had, you know, black constables and black this and black that and black the other. But when it came down to press tax, who said what's going on, who owned the resources, who controlled everything was these white folks. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Let me let me ask let me ask you this. I I, I don't I, I don't want to jump 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 ahead of where you you're going. Right. Uh, but what what do you what do you think motivated uh, this attack, you know, so so you, you had two people that that concocted or came up with this idea. Um, I think they they changed the names of it. Uh, I think it was one is one time American descendants of slavery, and then they they said descendants of slaves or whatever. Uh, this attempt to create this new identity. Uh, but what what do you think motivated the attack on? The concept of Pan Africanism, and which was really, in my opinion, an attack on the whole idea of global African unity. What What do you think motivated that? Why Why did they Why did they choose that? Because you know, both of us have experience in the Black Liberation Movement, and you know, when Pan Africanism, the idea was, you know, at uh, reached a you know a second height after after you know the Garvey movement you know in the 19 uh, 1970s and in into parts of the 1980s where you know we were really focused on a, on global african unity here in the united states uh, compared to now i mean you know i really don't see you know that 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 type of movement what do you think motivated them in uh 2016 you know based on the article you sent me from the sister uh uh jessica uh I can't pronounce the last name, but anyway, what do you think motivated Carnell and Moore? Uh, well, Carnell is the ideologue, so what do you think motivated her to attack Pan-Africanism? All right, let me, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. That's an opinion in a minute, but let me just finish one, another thing about Pan-Africanism before we go into that. Okay. So, so what we have is we have, we have to have a global unity in order to fight this. Right. The other thing is, None of us ever said, hey, we were leaving Africa, you know, voluntarily. We already established that. That means that we still have a claim to Africa. Regardless of what the Africans that were left behind say or not. For example, if I go and I, and I steal your house or I steal your car, right? And you don't see your car for 20 years. And then you die, but you want to leave your car to your children, right? Or your house to your children. And they don't see it, right? 
Does that mean that all of a sudden you don't have a claim? They don't. Your children don't have a claim on the property that you put together. Mm-hmm. You know. Don't you want to leave something to your grandchildren, or even your great grandchildren? Just because I was able to keep them away from that, I was able to keep the property somewhere hidden. Let's say. Does that mean that they lose their claim to that property? Now, if you had walked away from the property voluntarily, like the Europeans did, that's one thing. Well, I never, we never moved away from that. So Pan-Africanism doesn't just mean that we unite. Pan-Africanism also means that we, as Africans in this country, as descendants of Africans that were forcibly removed, have a right, whether some so-called Nigerian says yes or no, or Congolese says yes or no, or whatever, to Africa. Africa is big enough. That's not just something where, oh, they can let us. It's ours. It's like Africa itself is theirs, that the Africans that were left over, left in Africa. So it is those Africans that are in Brazil, that are in the Caribbean, and that are in the United States. Mm-hmm. And those of us that built up the United States and Brazil, et cetera, et cetera, also have an additional claim to the United States. But so do the people that had to were robbed of their resources, the families that were left behind in Africa, that were robbed of their children, of the primary resource that any people has, namely people, mm-hmm. and that and whose children then were used to build up this foreign entity rather than their own society. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So they have a claim to our labor as well, because we're all one family. Okay. See, see how that makes sense? Yeah, it makes so sense. When, so when you, when you say, oh, Pan-Africanism is dead because we, we're not connected with Africa anymore, that means we're giving up a lot of property. We're giving up our chance to, you know, you can't build a nation on air. <laughs> you have to have land. Like Brother Markham said, land. Every land is the basis of any kind of revolution, of any kind of building of society. You can't, you know, it's, just, it's impossible. So it's not an abstract concept that Africans in the United States, or black folk in the United States have a right to Africa? We do. And it doesn't matter whether some African government that was set up by, by European construct, may they call themselves Nigeria or Ghana or whatever, tell us, oh, you guys, you should come back. You know, it's a year of return. It's not up to you to allow us to return. You see what I'm saying? We have a right to go anywhere. Now, the ADOS people criticize, you know, these folks. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they they want to make tourism industry out of us. True. But you have to understand who these governments are. They're not authentic African governments. They were set up by the Europeans. That's all there is to it. Right. You know, when, 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 these, when these guys that are, you know, president of this or that or the other say, oh, come on back, 
They're not talking about the average brother in the street, uh, bro- brother and sister in the street. They ain't got shit. You know, mm-hmm. they're talking about, yeah, ah, we want doctors. We want, you know, engineers. We want engineers, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we need them engineers over here. I had a conversation with a brother from, from uh, South Africa just a few days ago, right? That was here a long time, who's, who, is in, who is a Pan-Africanist to the core and has been in the, uh, it's, it's the skion of, of an important South African, Pan-Africanist figure, mm-hmm. right? And I said, we had a conversation. He said, oh, yeah, listen, they took our best and brightest and took them to, to the Americas. We need you to come back and help build us up. I said, okay, cool. We'll come back. But my job is, above all, to take care of my people over here. Your job is to take care of people over there. And we do it in unity and we travel back and forth. And yeah, we'll send our skills over there. You know? But that's a tactical question. All right. So, so when you when you divorce yourself from Pan-Africanism, you divorce yourself from your from your most effective way to fight global white supremacy, which takes global white supremacy takes different forms in different countries, tactical forms, but strategically they all work together, mm-hmm. right? And not just the so-called West that 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 goes for the former Soviet Union, that goes for today's Russia, that goes for all that, okay? For the Amer- et cetera, et cetera. And um, and it it gives up the claim, the actual physical claim of our right to our homeland. Okay. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. To our wealth. That gold belongs to Africans in Africa and the Africans in the diaspora. That right. bauxite, that Coltrane, all that. Mm-hmm. It belongs to all of us. All right? Okay, cool. So... To answer your question, what motivates them? I'm not sure, because I can't look into their heads. All I can do is I can look at what they're, what they're saying and what effect it has on the struggle. Okay. And at the interest and, and on the advancement of the tr- struggle mm-hmm. and in whose interest eventually that plays out. So if you go and attack Pan-Africanism and you attack the unity of African folks, right? which is the only strategic way of doing this thing, there's, there's, there is no logical other way to do it, then you're weakening that struggle and you're helping white supremacy. Right. Okay? Right. So whether they're doing it um, uh, because they're ignorant of history or because they get paid off or because they just handkerchief Negroes, or because I don't know, maybe they're very honest about they want to, what they want to do. Maybe they really want to do something for Africans, for African Americans, for Black people. However, and they see that the way to do it. It may be I don't know, but what you have to do is you have to go look objectively at what history told you. Not only that, but what the current conditions are, and then put that into context and 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 develop a strategy. That strategy ain't going to work. Now, we know, I want to talk, now, they, 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 they exacerbate, one of the things that they do, which I find very suspicious, is that they exacerbate the difference between different African 
different black people throughout the world. Right. So, so they talk about the Nigerians that come over here and they have, you know, a larger amount of, of, uh, of wealth than the average African-American. Well, yes, it takes money to get on the plane and fly to the United States and establish yourself. Right. The average Nigerian doesn't have that kind of money. Right. It's a certain elite that has money. That's right. Certain elites that get educated in European schools mm -hmm. or whatever. All right. So as an immigrant by itself already, you have this, you have the selection process. Okay. As each African American on the street still got more wealth than, than the average Nigerian. Okay. Or the average uh, Gambian or the average uh, uh, Gabonese or, or, or Congolese or whatever. Okay, so, so it's, it's a false, false comparison. Now, there are contradictions among us. Listen, personally, I was married to a Jamaican. <laughs> you know? Okay. I, oof, that's a difference in culture, right? Okay. All right? But that doesn't mean that I reject them and say, oh, y'all, y'all, y'all are not part of us. No. We're all family. Now, there might be a cousin that you have that you can't stand. In fact, you might be able to stand your sister, right? Because of whatever. But those are contradictions among family. Yeah. Not among enemies. Right. Sometimes those contradictions get so emotional that, you know, you end up hitting each other, killing each other or whatever. Right? Just like the Bloods and the Crips, right? But those are contradictions among each other that we have to resolve by talking about, mm -hmm. okay? We can't have situations where people from the United States, Africans from the United States go to South Africa and start lording it over Africans in, in South Africa. Right. We can't have that situation. We also can't have that situation where, you know, Africans from Nigeria come over here and start trying to lord it over Africans in the United States. No. But these things we have to talk about. We have to, we have, you know, we, we can't resolve them by denigrating each other and, you know, being violent against you or calling each other's names or whatever else. Because our true enemy is not. The Nigerian can't do nothing to me. Yeah. Right? It's the white supremacy. That's our true enemy. That's all of our enemy. And as long as we understand that that is the fundamental contradiction, not what's going on between us and the family, then we know what's going on. So, and that's what ADAS is not doing. ADAS is talking about white supremacy. Yeah, white supremacy, American white supremacy. And each one of you guys in, in Jamaica and in, in Africa, so you all got your own white supremacy. Mm. But they don't make that connection. And and you guys, you want to work with your white supremacies. In fact, you know, you, 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 you know that you uh, recently they put some kind of post up saying that, you know, the diaspora. Yeah, the diaspora, this is what, what uh, Yvette Kionel said. The diaspora is sucking up to white folks, meaning everybody outside the United States is now the diaspora, mm. right? So... So y'all sucking up to, you're sucking up to your own white supremacists. Mm. You see what I'm saying? So they're, they're compartmentalizing everything. That's splintering the struggle. Now, the fact is, is that 
there are areas in Africa where folks are behind the struggle, further behind than we are, where they do dumb shit like, you know, bleaching their skin, putting blue eyes on there, you know, worshiping, I don't know who, and some European gods, et cetera, et cetera. That's because they haven't had the direct experience dealing with white folks and white supremacy as we have had here in the United States. Right. This is the focal point of white supremacy. The South Africans had it to an extent, but not like we did. Okay? So we just explained to them what we went through, and we tried to make those connections. And in fact, we did, going back over 100 years. The progenitor of Pan-Africanism is not Marcus Garvey. It's Martin Delaney. Martin Delaney went African, in the, you know, African-American. Mm-hmm. Put to, they put together that commi- they put together commissions in, in Chicago, the free Africans, before slavery was even, even you know, officially uh, uh, ended in the United States. Right. And sent and sent sent commissions sent uh, commissions over to Africa, mm-hmm. not as part of the American colonization society right. from these white folks, yeah, but black folks, and made treaties with different African uh, leaders to set up rep, uh, set up uh, areas where Africans could come back. Right. Right. And before that, it was uh, uh, David Walker and all these people. So. <clears throat> So, uh, uh, and, and this communication went back and forth. And that's the other thing people have to understand. There was never, never, never a, a, a disruption of the communication with Africans in the continent and Africans in the United States. There was always, always a back and forth. Mm-hmm. It might have been a trickle, but it was enough. Right. In fact, it was such enough that when Africans in Haiti rebelled and overthrew the white supremacists here, the biggest fear that the South Carolina, that, that the that, that the plant, plantation owners, you know, these these con- concentration camp commandants had, was that the Haitian Revolution would influence our people over here, right. because they knew that we were in communication with the Haitians. Right. How we did it, they don't know, but we were people. We ain't stupid. Right. Okay. So just the same way, we still communicated with Africa back and forth. There was a trickle, whatever. Then McVesey, where did he come from? Haiti. Well, St. Thomas and Haiti. Right. So there was a constant influx. So you cannot say that Africa, you cannot isolate black folk in the United States from everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's the main problem with ADOS. Right. Okay. Now, in today's, in today's um, political uh, atmosphere, that has consequences as well. You have this contest between the Trumpists and you know Trump and uh, Biden, Kamala Harris, etc., etc. So they attack Kamala Harris. They attack her on the basis that she has the Indian mother and the Jamaican father, so she's not pure. Adolf, that's right. Tell you the truth, eh, well, who cares? What I care about is what is her political agenda. So if you if you're Nigerian, you come over here and you go, I want reparations for my people, 
in the United States, in Nigeria, everyone else, I want to fight white supremacy. I'm down for you. I don't care. Yo, yo go ahead. You know? Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're uh, somebody, let's say, uh, your initials are AS, you know? Mm-hmm. And you're from Brooklyn, from New York, right? And you've been, you've been running this, and, and you, you run for president or vice president, and you're pure, quote unquote, ADA, meaning African American, mm-hmm. and you don't go and implement that struggle. You don't talk about, we need, we need to be repaired, right? Well, then I got a problem with you. I don't care what your lineage is and so far. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, two things. Reparations are due to each and every African descended person on the planet. And how it's implemented in each area is a different thing. Right. So that's out of the way. We have to have unity overall and we can't denigrate each other even though we understand we have strong differences, sometimes based on culture, sometimes based on uh, being told by Europeans that you're better, you're better N-I-G-G-E-R than another, right? We had that in, in slavery time too. Oh, my master, he, he's, he's nice, he's bigger than your master. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? We had that. I think WB, uh, Dr. Du Bois talks about that, all right? So, no, we got to get away from that mind thing and just keep talking. Keep talking. Keep exchanging. But we can't exacerbate those differences based on some emotional, oh, I don't like you there. No, no. Okay? So, and as long as we do that, we strengthen, we strengthen these races. And it's a very sophisticated way of diverting the struggle. That's why I'm bringing it up. Because, you know, initially I, I said, listen, we should just forget about those guys and keep doing our work. Right. Right? Well, it's gotten to a point where I think they're starting to influence significant amounts, enough amount, enough folks in, in the African community, our black American community, black community, that and confusing people that's becoming dangerous. So it's, it's, it's time for us to start talking about it. Okay. Now, one of the things, of course, is that they say, well, Pan-Africanists have, you know, they're not there anymore. That's not true. You know, I haven't publicly said anything in years. Most of us just said, we tend to get shot, killed if we rise too much and talk. So let's just do, do our work. Pan-Africanists all over the world, all of them doing their work. So the question is going to be, well, what did you accomplish? We accomplished a lot. You don't know it because we don't talk about it. Exactly. Take public enemy, just on just on on a on a on a more obvious scale. Take public enemy. Public enemy is a Pan-Africanist project. It influenced the whole world. It changed things. It engendered uh, uh, a reaction from white supremacy mm-hmm. in the form of gangster rap and all that other stuff. Right, because they, they right? talked about a black planet, right? Not just it, black America. You're a black planet. You see what I'm saying? So what we did, a lot of 
of us, what we did, we went into the entertainment industry, you know, inspired by the black poets, for example. We went into commerce. We, there's, there's folks all over the place, but they don't talk about it. But these two folks, they ain't got no history. They have no history, right? They're popping up on YouTube and confusing everybody else. Right. It's getting to a point where some of their followers are starting to attack people. You yeah, know, think, they're attacking. I think, I think that's that's their modus operandi. They're starting I think to that's how they get more, more more followers. Well, it's not just that. But when you start when you start having your people, when your people start attacking people, you can always say, Well, I didn't have nothing to do with it. But you're starting to use language like, for example, Yvette Carnell starts using language for like, you gotta get out of the way. That's what she says. Joy Reid, you gotta get out the way. So-and-so, you gotta get out the way of us. You're an impediment to our liberation. You gotta get out the way. What does that mean? How will people interpret that? Some crazy is gonna go and say, yeah, let's get rid of this chick. Mm. Just like there was a guy, some guy named Africa, called himself Africa, you know, that attacked a brother in, in Newark, some preacher, right? Mm. That wasn't necessarily pan-Africanist or whatever. Right. You don't go and, and, and attack black folk. You don't, one of the basic tenets of pan-Africanism is don't harm black people, don't lie to black people. Don't steal from black people. That don't mean that people don't do it, but those are those are the tenets. I don't care whether you are Roy Innes. I'm not gonna go and attack you physically. Right, right. So let me let me uh we're running uh, short on time, brother Crazy. So let me just say uh let me just so basically if I understood, you know, the gist of your argument. This organization is wittingly or unwittingly uh, working in the interests of our historical enemies, the global white supremacy dynamic, by by creating these these divisions, and it's it's incumbent upon us to use all of our platforms to you know expose this and teach our people, you know, the true history uh, of, of African people, you know, including uh, the numerous examples of, of, of global, you know, African uh, unity uh, that have worked in the interest of, you know, the total liberation and empowerment of African people wherever we are. Uh, that's, that's the gist of what I, what I got from what you're saying. Right. That's absolutely it. And, and in, order to, in order to do that, we have to educate. And one of the problems that we've done, it's, it's not as Pan-Africanists have had, um, you know, we, we, have, we have not done what we so have, were supposed to have done. We haven't really gone out there and, and try to educate our people. Mm-hmm. Now, you got these guys like, you know, those YouTube phenomenon like uh, Tariq Nasheed, who's, uh, he's, he's got a ver- variation of that ADOS thing. They call it foundational black Americans. Right. You got Umar Johnson, you got, you know, it's not up to me to say they're, you know, what they're doing is correct or not correct. But what we have to do is we have to be more present. We have to be 
more engaged in letting people know what's really going on. You right. know? Right. And, you need to follow and, the examples of, you know, Garvey, Kwame Ture, John Henry Clark, Francis well, Press Belson, Especially John Henry Clark. Right. You see what I'm saying? I'm a, I'm, John Henry Clark was my teacher, one of my teachers. Actually, mm -hmm. the, the most significant one. And I love that man. Right. right. And one thing that he's always said, that we have to understand, black people, African people, have no friends. If you want to have a friend, go look in the mirror. That means, yes, we may have white people that help us out. That's great. In my business, I've had a lot of white folks help me out. Cool, great, because that's where the resources are, and I accepted those resources, right? But at the end of the day, the only thing that we know, the only people we know have an interest in African and black people are black people because all over the world they face the same oppression just in different forms. Right. Sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. Right? And we have to unite and look in the mirror and we can't do that by disparaging each other. That's shattering the mirror. Exactly. You know what I'm exactly. That's basically what I have to say on this one right now. Okay, Brother Quasi, we, we, certain, we certainly appreciate uh, you bringing this information uh, to the African Liberation Media family. Yeah, we'll get this. Uh, Brother Amos will do his thing with uh, you know, our IT and technology and, and get this information published and out there. And uh, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll look forward to talking to you again. Once again, this has been the African Liberation Media. Bibi Fahodier. Black power, African power, African liberation. We shall conquer without a doubt. Ashe. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. Thank you.